passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And we are live, everybody. Welcome to the Cafe Hangout. It's me, Way. I know that all these times we've been doing video, you've been looking through Scramble Vision to, is it really, John? And this week, here I am, folks. Do I look crystal clear, Way? Is it as though I'm I'm right next to you? Uh. You know, I, I could almost smell you. Your your photo, your picture is so clear, John. You know, I know, John, one of one of the um the the goals that you've had during this pandemic, everybody's just taken this opportunity to acquire new skills where you know, to get into shape, to learn how to cook, to learn a new instrument. And John's Not me. goal well, John's goal primarily has been to try to conquer technology. And we've certainly had our issues. And I, I, I'm even going to I even have issues and I'm going to have issues today because my neighbors are doing construction. So apologies in advance if you can hear the drilling next door. But, John, this past week, I'm so proud of you. Not only did you figure out this thing all on your own, you upgraded the, the camera, you downloaded a driver for Windows 7 to operate this webcam with. And now it was actually the, uh, the Windows driver 98. <laughs> Damn! Oh God! Uh, Way sent me like the most basic how-to video ever that I watched this, and I was literally almost embarrassed at how easy it was. However, it was for a different version of Windows that was not compatible with mine, and thus I was already in the mindset. Like I just thought, okay, this is so simple to set up. I will figure this out. And when it did not work, I did not have the right Windows that's compatible. Then I decided I'm figuring this thing out and I found the proper driver. I downloaded it, uh, downloaded it and here we are. Not only that, not only that, John, like not only did John manage to figure this out, out, this webcam for his Windows 7 computer. By the way, why are you still on Windows 7, man? What's, What's wrong with you? Okay, my computer, it's literally telling me to get windows 10 now but i just see so much negativity towards windows 10 i have no problem with windows 7 like it's fine it's not anything that i i wake up in the morning excited to use windows 7 but i i don't feel any need to not have windows 7 either well baby steps we'll we'll get you to upgrade your os uh, in due time but not only did you figure out the webcam situation on your own you've even upgraded your microphone and I just sat here as I witnessed you do this whole thing by yourself. Usually you use the Yeti. Now, like you you're plugging into the mixer, you're you're using the 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 SM7B. Like you are just killing it. 
I'm sorry. I, I know you're trying to be nice, but you really sound like you're talking to a toddler. Like that's what I hear from you when you're saying this. Like, and then you put you finished the puzzle on your own without daddy. <laughs> Is this how you talk to Max? Um, Dude, he finished the puzzle today. I was just blown away. Wow. I like helped him start it and he finished the puzzle. I was like, damn. This is really impressive. Well, really, at his rate, I think he would be able to help you upgrade uh, Windows 10 at some point. Can I give you the update on the on the, the viewing situation? Because we're past Peppa Pig now. He's moved we, on. Okay. Are you familiar to the parents out there? They're going to nod, I think, at this. Have you heard of Blippy? No, I have not. Okay, you got to learn about this guy because it is now the new thing where he t- – I can't even describe what he does, but I looked up his net worth and it is just astronomical what this guy is worth. And now Max is watching like these makeshift like toy. It's like these animated videos with like fire trucks and he has the fire truck. So it's a toy he plays with and it's like going through cities. It's putting out fires and stuff. It's like probably not perfect for a two year old, but he's so engrossed in it that I mean, who who am I to say? Uh, Is he essentially watching a toy commercial? I mean, it's it's kind of like watching like Lego come to life, but it's well, not Lego. I mean, listen, this is how we you and I were probably conditioned from our childhood. Like, what the hell is G.I. Joe? What is Transformers? But like a, a long TV commercial. So WWE, you know, we're starting we're starting him off right, I think. So, so you've got construction going on here on at my end. There's this construction going on down the street. And this began this morning by waking us up with a knock on our door, asking us to move our car on the street, of which we informed them that is not our car there. Ours is at a different spot. Oh, sorry. All right. Now, through this construction, uh, our water is shut off. Really? No wow. warning. Just the water's down, which, I mean, n- not not a time period where, like, washing your hands is, like, encouraged or anything like that. So, yeah, yeah, shut shut our water off. Give us a day or two with no water. No that's, problem. That's brutal. I feel like you, you'd be able – is it the city or is it just, like, an independent contractor that's doing it? I think it's an independent contractor. Um, wow. I, I, I don't know what's going on, but I think the bare minimum is you get a warning that that could happen, right? Absolutely. And so are you dealing with this in some way or, or uh, what? Wait, I found out about this 10 minutes ago during our break. Uh, oh, so this is cool. all new to me. Yeah, anyway, yeah. That, that's what's going on. No water and Waze got drilling going on on his side. So uh, <laughs> there you go, everybody. That's that's our lives. We'll make it through this hour, I'm sure. Hour plus. Uh, but- We're going to chat about uh, NXT from last night that Way and I have both had a chance to see. Uh, we'll get into the Untold special that the WWE Network put out. Um, but off the top, uh, I did want to talk a bit about this story that was uh, circulating on Wednesday, and I didn't talk about this Wednesday night. I did want to uh, contact the, the Maryland State Athletic Commission first, and I did hear back from them. This regards the AEW Full Gear show from last November at the Royal Farms Arena in Baltimore. And AEW, uh, there was a consent order, um, and this was from Patrick Pinella, who's the executive director of the Maryland State Athletic Commission, uh, confirming that there was a consent order and they they did send the consent order, which you can find it, it had circulated online as well. I'm not going to read the whole thing here, but uh, this is kind of the uh, the bare bones of it. The matter comes before the Maryland State Athletic Commission as a result of a complaint filed by the commission against All Elite Wrestling LLC, a professional wrestling promoter. On November 9th, the respondent was the promoter for a professional wrestling event presented by AEW at the Royal Farms Arena in Baltimore. 
during a match between licensed wrestlers Jonathan Good and Tyson Smith, both Mr. Good and Mr. Smith suffered lacerations, which caused blood to be introduced into the ring. Upon review of the matter, the commission determined that administrative charges against the respondent were appropriate for alleged violations of Maryland law pertaining to wrestling contests and related regulations. And I found this description uh, where they have to, of course, um, we we need details. What, What happened in this match? Both Mr. Good and Mr. Smith introduced foreign objects into the ring, including a baseball bat wrapped in barbed wire, a broom with bristles wrapped in barbed wire, and a tool similar to an ice pick. Mr. Good used the baseball bat wrapped in barbed wire to strike Mr. Smith three times across his back and cause lacerations from which Mr. Smith bled. Mr. Smith used the broom with bristles wrapped in barbed wire to strike Mr. Good across the back of his head and his shoulder and cause lacerations from which Mr. Good bled. And Mr. Smith also raked the broom across Mr. Good's back. Well, Mr. this sounds like uh, guys that were trying out for uh, 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 Reservoir dogs here. Um, anyway, I, I'm just uh, imagining goes, like some sort of like, you know, lawyer sitting down with this match and just like pausing frame by frame to stop and write down in pretty graphic detail. Kenny Omega's barbed wire broom. So um, it goes on to say, based on the aforementioned violations, the respondent agrees to pay a civil penalty to the commission in the amount of $10,000 within 30 days of the date of the consent order. And in this consent order, um, it's basically AEW uh, acknowledging this. It's signed off by by Chris Harrington, who is the authorized representative of All Elite Wrestling, as well as the, the chairman, uh, David J. Norman of the commission. And it's dated April 28th, 2020. And I mean, you can look into this. Uh, David Bixenspan actually brought people's attention to this of all the rules attached to wrestling events in the state of Maryland. And they're pretty extensive, like right down to prohibited activities, including pulling of the hair, strangleholds, uh, jumping from the ring ropes onto an opponent. I mean, technically, like if you are running in Maryland, it's probably like you're probably violating so many of these in, in any given wrestling match. It just seems um, on its surface, very draconian. And how much of this is really being enforced. Um, but but Maryland, I mean, this was an infraction. I mean, that is clear that they can't get away from doing this. Um, but with this fine, I guess the, the only question becomes, does this deter AEW from going back to Maryland? Um, and, and really just, you know, this level of oversight of a wrestling commission. I am not against wrestling commission completely. But I think in instances such as, you know, Pulling of the hair. I mean, that to me is stuff where I think, you know, you're subjecting yourself to to any of this by running in Maryland. Um, if you're agreeing to all of this, like this is all in theory, um, possible uh, offenses. I, I'm honestly surprised that uh, um, any sort of commission would have that level of jurisdiction over a professional wrestling bout. I mean, these are these are things I feel like I guess I would have assumed, you know, some somebody like the WWE would have gotten by years ago without having to to deal with. But um do you feel like AEW knew this going in or do you feel like this was a surprise? Um, I can't imagine that. I mean, it, it's, it's known that you can't, you can't blade w- within the state. I mean, that's not like this secret. And I mean, you have to get licensed. So in theory, like all of this um, should not have been a secret. I guess maybe their their thought was that either they could get away with it or it's it, like, look at all of these things. Like if you, um, 
uh, we'll retweet this uh, this whole list of like the rules and stuff. But I mean, it's like in in essence, like there's, there's probably tons of stuff here that was uh, violated. It's like there's just basic stuff in in a wrestling match, like in a two out of three falls match, a two minute rest period shall be permitted between falls. It's like this is um, amazing. I don't know. It's just some insane like rulings here. Uh, kicking an opponent unless a recognize kicking an opponent unless a recognized wrestling hold is prohibited. Okay, so you can't you- kick an opponent unless it's it's a known wrestling hold, unless there was precedent set for that particular kick. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so any sort of new kick is banned. You can't do a fancy, brand new style of kick. Yeah, that's amazing to me. That that in 2020, these rules are still somehow enforced. And I, I would say, yes, you should continue to run Maryland. And in fact, you gotta publicize these rules and use it as a feature. One night only. Maryland Commission rules. No kicks. Only registered kicks. We'll have a full list of kicks that people will be able to to uh, legally use. Um, there will be teases of blood. No but, hair pulling, hair pulling DQ. You know, loser has to pay. Like the goal would be to um, lacerate your opponent using their own hand. So you put a knife in their hand and you get them to cut themselves so that they pay the 10,000. How about that? You can get really creative with this, I think. I mean, a more serious discussion is that, you know, at the same time, we're talking about these shows that are running in Florida. I'm not against the idea of having an independent body that is making sure that there are safety measures in place. My issue becomes when there are commissions that are not understanding of what pro wrestling is and kind of overseeing, you know, elements of this industry that are not of my prime concern, such as uh, time limits and matches and hair pulling. Um, And for that matter, I mean, there there can certainly be an argument about um, blading versus, Guys just trying to open themselves up hard way because in that match they were using barbed wire. But I mean, the other point here is that these rules are not just coming out of nowhere. I mean, it's like there is fault on AEW like they they ran within the state and you do have to you can't complain about breaking the speed limit uh, after the fact. It's Mm -hmm. like, you know what the speed limit is. And if you get caught, you can't just argue, ah. The speed limit's too low here. It's like, well, you knew when you got on the highway what the speed limit was. You broke the speed limit, and now you're trying to – and AEW is not protesting this either by any sense. Like they've they've agreed to it, so it's not like they're even protesting this. But I, I guess it just becomes a question of um, Maryland being a state if they do go back to or not. We'll see. We shall see. Yes. Um, so Andrew Thompson will have a story on this later on uh, the website. Um, let's move over a bit. We we have Rewind to Dynamite up going through what was a pretty well-received episode of Dynamite. Uh, conversely, NXT. Uh, this was uh, promoted around the two title matches with Adam, Adam Cole, Velveteen Dream, and Charlotte Flair, Io Shirai. Uh, but I'll say the big highlight on this show for me was the entrance of Karrion Cross with Scarlett and – one of the best entrances I've seen in a long time. Like this to me had like a similar feel to that first time we saw the fiend come out at SummerSlam last year. I like this one even better. I thought this was such a cool entrance and the empty arena might've even enhanced it for that first time ever. Like this will be awesome with a crowd, but to me it was just as cool watching without a crowd. Like it was just awesome. When the biggest talk coming out of a show with like two championship matches is a debuting guy's entrance. 
I feel, I mean, usually it could be of two things. It could be ridiculously bad or it could be ridiculously good. And I absolutely agree that I thought this was a ridiculously good entrance. You know, it was like, almost like when it started off, it felt so different. You had Scarlet come out. She's just like lip syncing to the song. And it was almost like a partial, like early nineties Madonna type of performance. And then like Karrion Cross comes out and it's just, it's a rave. You know, it's like the comfort zone at like 4 a.m. It's just insane. Really crazy song, spectacular entrance, immediately made these two feel like a main event duo. They feel like a main event act immediately. And that this and I mean, he we know he's a dynamite promo, um, you know, and it's it's like you just you watch this and you see like this is an act. They are 1000 percent behind. And I think it was just a tremendous introduction of him. Uh, with, with this entrance, I just uh, I thought that was a big highlight. Like my my typical pattern with Wednesday nights is that I start NXT and then at around 830, I flip over to Dynamite, watch that, do the show with you. And then I go back to NXT. And once I like this is like 1230, one in the morning and I just keep going until it's like, OK, it's tap out time for NXT. And I usually finish it the next morning. I just watched the entire NXT last night. Like I was, I was really into this episode. Um, you know, there, there was, there, there, there was good and in, in different uh, elements there, but I thought this was one of the better NXTs I've watched in some time from start to finish. I think it helps that you had a number of matches that were big matches that were promoted beforehand. Um, I thought it was pretty consistent. Uh, for me, I thought it was a good addition of NXT. It was not, I think if your expectations are that this was, you know, some sort of, mini takeover level of show i i definitely don't think it reached that height to me i thought there were there was quality throughout the entire show and in particular the two title matches i i thought were were good but none of them would be matches that i would put near at a takeover level no i i thought charlotte and Yuyo shirai like that was not the match um i was really looking forward to that match and it just seemed like this was just it's like we talked about last night is that when you build up to these big matches it's okay. How do we book ourselves out of this? And that's what we got in this. It's like, okay, we're going to continue it. And you get like the, the DQ finish. Um, also really notable on this show, like outside of that opener with Gargano and Dijakovic, it seemed like there was a, a desire to do a lot of shorter matches and mm-hmm. Kushida and Jake Atlas. That was an awesome three minute match. I was so captivated by that match. And it was like three minutes. It makes you wonder if like, you know, they were, um, maybe again reassessing perhaps length when it comes to these empty arena matches. Um, I mean, this particular show, I think they had a lot stacked anyway, but, you know, especially these cruiserweight matches, the goal seems to be just work fast, work, you know, get out, get in, get out, showcase your stuff. And um, I can definitely say none of the matches I felt on this show overstayed their welcome, especially these cruiserweight style matches. But the, the matches were good, but to me, like what stood out the most in particular with Kushida is getting the hair actually cut a promo at the mm-hmm. end of the match. And I thought he sounded really good. I would imagine like during his time in America, he's probably been spending as much time on his English as he has on the in ring, which he already is a, is a master at. So this to me was, was a, a big, you know, opportunity for him to showcase how comfortable he sounds cutting a, a brief promo. But the fact that they kept it short, not too wordy or unnatural, uh, and they kept like the intensity of like his look and this goes for Tazawa as well, who I think is already, you know, very good uh, at, at speaking, you know, and cutting English promos. But like the intensity of their of their stares, um, I, I, I really noticed. And I would say both of them came across really well. 
Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed the finish, like the springboard into the into the arm bar and the instant tap. I thought that was um, the, the best Jake Atlas has looked. And again, this was a real quick three minute match, but I, I thought it worked very well. And then so to keep keep people updated, um, Kushida and Tozawa are both two and oh. Um, they are the leaders currently. Tozawa is unbeatable on Wednesday nights. It's it, it's it's that you know Mondays are his warm up. You know right. he's, he stretches out. He's like you know he takes a bit of beating here and there. He has that's, a rough weekend, maybe shaking off the weekend. That's his Shark Tank. That's how he prepares for Wednesdays. Gotcha. Um, what did you think about the Finn Balor promo? He came out. Uh, we thought he was going to name his attacker, but he doesn't know his attacker, so he. <laughs> He said that uh, the, he thought the biggest snakes were the ones in the office, but says he is not so sure now. And that the formula is attack the guy, get the big push. And he's like describing kind of carrying Cross's entrance without naming him about the elaborate entrance with like lasers and the push you're expecting won't be a push. It will be a squash. Could be a subtle tease for, for that program. I mean, I think it's a little too early for that, but, you know, maybe down the line, uh, yeah, Karrion Cross and Finn Balor seems like a really good, high-profile, brand-new matchup. Um, I think, you know, with this, like, Prince character, they're they're certainly trying to make him a lot more edgy, and sometimes it carries over to promos like this, which were just whatever. Like, the, the shock factor of something like a wrestler mentioning a push and a squash, that really hasn't been there for, I would say, like, more than a decade at this point. It was okay. It was a meh shoot promo, uh, but I, I felt like his his contribution was was still more was was to come later in the Cameron Grimes match. Yeah, I, I think the heavy reliance on the verbiage it just it just feels like something out of uh, two thousand or something. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think he has good delivery, but I his delivery. I, I, I don't really better. know who this is necessarily catering to. I think it's I think it comes off very kind of. Um, I understand what they're trying to do, but I just think it's like a generation removed from this being any kind of like shock factor. I, I don't think there's anything to that. I just thought it was an okay promo, but um, I, I did feel like it was noticeable that he's staying as a baby face here, which, you know, he pretty much was for that Walter Imperium feud. And now he's uh, continuing as a baby face here on NXT proper. And then last thing was Adam Cole and Velveteen Dream. They they protected Dream to a, to an extent. But it did end with the last shot and Cole getting the win. Uh, do you see this being uh, dreams? Uh, do you see this feud continuing? Not necessarily. No. Um, and like I didn't think it was all that great a match, especially for an Adam Cole title match. It was like an entertaining sprint. Yeah, but like maybe not of an NXT championship um, match quality. It's it's. Really difficult, I would say, to maybe watch and even discuss a Velveteen Dream match without, you know, mentioning like the controversy that's that's going on right now. And I, I, I really want to be careful even having the discussion because there's so little that's known about it. That, um, anyway. But either way, um, it, regard- it's lingering though. It's like you can't completely dismiss that while it's, you know, yeah. Th- there hasn't been a resolution to it. We we don't know uh, whatever these findings are. Uh, all that's been said is that there's a third party investigation, and that's coming from uh, Patrick Clark, not from WWE. It, 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 I think uh, regardless, I I don't know if I would have seen this feud continue either way, but I would say especially in light of some controversy, I I I'd see them moving on from this. And next week they're going to do Finn Balor, Cameron Grimes, and a tag title match with Riddle and Timothy Thatcher against 
Fabian Eichner and Marcel Bartel. So that's what we have next week uh, versus the AEW lineup that they they have loaded up. I think we have six matches announced for next week. So we pretty much know the entire dynamite card for next week. Mm-hmm. Can we talk a little bit about, you know, just going back to um, uh, uh, Karen Cross? The best part of that whole thing was, I mean, this grand elaborate entrance, like Scarlet comes out singing, there's like dry ice and this crazy like light show. And then the lights come back on and poor Leon Ruff is still, it's just, just, he's just standing there in the corner this entire time. And you're like, oh my God, there was a human being there. And he's just like, he took a, a hell of a beating, made this guy look amazing. Like to me, like he's, he's a fantastic jobber. If we're talking about people in, in a role like that, um, Give the guy a job. He was he was fantastic. Uh, yes, uh, evolves Leon Ruff, who has been one of the the go tos uh, for some of these these matches. But I was just wait after this enormous entrance, like it ends, it's silence, and you should have just had the announcer and his opponent, Leon Ruff. <laughs> yeah, what was Leon Leon Ruff's like grand entrance? What what he came no. up to? Oh, but uh, no, that to me was like the big the the high point of of NXT, like just a fantastic entrance um for for cross it just it tells you immediately like how how big of a of a factor he's going to be mm-hmm. and probably moving to this Tommaso Ciampa feud like I know we kind of teased like something with Balor but maybe that's down the road because it seems that cross Ciampa would be your immediate program uh yeah. based on the attack you know a little later on um John and I you and I are going to talk about the untold special that they just did on Triple H and, and uh, Cactus Jack in the meantime did you want to take some phone calls Yes, let's open up the lines. All right, so you can Skype us, everybody. Just open up your Skype app on desktop or on mobile and search for Post Wrestling. We're going to be taking your phone calls about really anything you want to talk about uh, in the wrestling world right now. So do give us a shout. Uh, Later on, we will be looking at the ratings from Wednesday night, seeing if there's any kind of minimal recovery from from either side. If they're up from last week, these were, as we mentioned, two more, I would say, more heavily promoted shows from both sides. And I thought both shows overall um, delivered in in different ways on on Wednesday night. But we'll see if that's reflected in the viewership. And then as well, looking ahead to Money in the Bank uh, this Sunday. And if you want to chat about UFC 249 as well. Stop coming up. It is a pretty. Ooh. Oh no. Hello. Is this caller there? And is John there? Oh my goodness. We spoke too soon. Uh, certainly at the beginning of the show because uh, technical issues will always seem to plague us. But Patrick, can you hear me? Uh, this Sunday. And if you uh, want to chat. Oh, sorry. I can hear your way. Is John there too? Uh, we seem to have lost John for the time being, but, uh, as, as we try to reconnect with the man, what is on your mind, Patrick? Well, I'm just going to add on something. I called in last week and I was talking about your guys' Saturday Night's Matter event review. This is more of a comment for John, but I think Way will appreciate it too. Anytime you guys review one of those shows, John talks about the lengthy TV tapings that they used to have back in the day. So I wanted to give some firsthand insight on that. I was 11 years old. WBF comes to my small town very exciting for a kid like wow i can't believe the wbf is in my city it's a tv taping this is unbelievable first hour goes by it's crazy by the fourth hour you're walking around the arena no longer in awe no longer glued to the action so that's just some first-hand perspective on one of those marathon uh, tv tapings you guys every now and then talk about at least from one fan well how Uh, how long was it in total and by the end how many people were still in attendance 
uh, everybody was still there from what I remember. And even even at that age, I may have had a bit of a jaded smart mark mentality to me. So maybe I was a bit uh, less into it than other people. But don't get me wrong. I was super excited. I, as far as I remember, the crowd was held for the whole thing. It just wasn't uh, the awe and captivation wasn't there towards the end of the show. And another thing I remember is you talk about the crowd sweetening. At the beginning of the show, I think Howard Finkel was was there as the announcer. He he did this whole thing where he'd address the crowd. And what do you do when you see a superstar you like? And everybody cheers. And then what do you do when you see someone you don't like? So they're almost collecting sound bites to, to tape in later, which I thought was pretty funny. It was, didn't take too long to catch on to what they were doing. But one, one thing I wanted to ask uh, either one of you is, well, you talked about this a lot in the Dynamite review last night about the WWE the ratings just keep going down and we know it doesn't seem like replaying matches is a long-term answer, but do you think it would come to that point eventually just because if you're not getting ratings out of taping, why bother having the expenditure of taping matches at all? Why not just do, I don't know, eight or nine weeks worth of half hour tapings and just fill the rest of it up with the video content. John is back with us. Can you hear us, John? Yes. Yes. I'm back. Okay. Uh, Sorry, and your question was, Patrick, why why not air older footage and why instead tape? Or sorry, why why yeah, do our podcast? Because I understand the the necessity to have some original content, especially if you're building towards pay-per-views. But will it come to a point where if it's not relevant for ratings, why wouldn't you primarily show older footage or show interviews just from a financial point of view? Whereas maybe you're doing i don't know a half hour to hour of original content each week that way you could just tape so much more and save money if, if you're not going to get ratings anyway why put in the expense thank you for the call patrick appreciate it thanks guys yeah i just can't see them going to, to that extent either i mean you can you can look at what old content does on on their tuesday nights on, on granted that's that's fs1 it's not in the monday night time slot but i think just just throwing in completely old stuff um Numbers would even go down that much lower. I mean, you're pretty much telling your audience this is you can skip this um, at that point. I, I don't I, I see that being a last resort. And I, I think another question is um, USA's response to that, that what what are we paying these rights fees for if we're just getting uh, archive footage and an interview shot from home uh, versus new content that they are delivering each week? And I mean, there's there's a side of USA as well. Is this like, what, what are their expectations during this period? I think that's the main thing. You know, you want to appease the people that are paying for the show. And if that means, you know, if at some point USA says, Hey, we're not comfortable with the level of risk that you're taking with your performers for these shows, they would have the power to shut things down. Uh, If they aren't saying that, I think, you know, it's on the WWE's role and their part to try to do their best to provide some semblance of a show that they initially agreed to produce for USA. Uh, really, And, and I don't see that. any broadcaster right now taking that, that stance. I think they are starved for content. I mean, I, I just see like TSN is like floating out like their promotional material today. Live sports return with like UFC, NASCAR, golf. I mean, they are just chomping at the bit for new live sports that um, – I mean, we saw it with ESPN. I mean, that that was not them just taking a moral stance. That was pressure they faced. So I, I don't expect that response from any broadcasters. Let's go back to the phone lines. Alex Francois, you are on the line. Please unmute yourself and let us know what's up. Hi, guys. You all right? Hey, Alex. How you doing? Not too bad in Edinburgh or Edinburgh or Edinburgh, <laughs> whichever one you want to go with in the Edinburgh. end. Edinburgh. <laughs> 
two quick questions. One, is that a minifigure frame in the background way? You have a very sharp eye, because yes, it is. It is my collection yeah. of Lego minifigures in an Ikea Which series? Yeah. Dude, same. all of them, man. You, you, you have no idea. I'm a fiend. <laughs> yeah, our house is pretty similar at the moment. Um, oh, cool. And the other one was just been catching up with the the dark side of the rings and you were talking on the reviews about how you could do like for other not just wrestling it could be you know other sports they could turn it into a franchise how do they get away with using like the wwf wwe uh, footage and things and would they be able to do the same if they did like a dark side of nhl or would they come down on them on vice more than anyone else i don't really know the legalities of how they can use the footage and stuff well, it's. I believe it's a question we actually asked Evan when he was on this this very show. Yeah, I've been back. catching up with your like talks yeah. about them as I've been catching but, up with the episodes. Yeah, but to be honest with you, um, I mean, uh, you know, as as far as I know, I think you know they're operating under fair use law. To be quite like, I was honestly surprised that after the first season, the WWF didn't like say something because I feel like people have kind of relied on fair use before, and you know, WWE's been able to shut them down, but. You know, clearly with Vice, like they they've been doing these shows using as much footage as they possibly want to use from not just the WWE, but like, you know, other sources of, uh, uh, you know, anything that they could possibly find. And it's been totally cool, it, it seems. Uh, and I think, you know, for us as a viewer, we're obviously very grateful for that. Um, but they must be pretty confident in fair use law. Cool. Fair play. Good to yeah. know. And do you think there's any like subjects for a further series? Because like the sort of unknown ones, the Herb Abrams and ones have been really interesting. I couldn't really think of anything else of that, you know, not the Owen Hart scale or the Benoit scale that they could cover. Oh, I, I think there's lots you could you could come up with uh, of different stories. And I, I think it's even less so uh, reliant on well-known figures at this point. I think like the franchise is established to this point that you can do more esoteric uh, themes within pro wrestling, that it's now got that branding of dark side of the ring, that it's built its audience, that you can get more into the weeds like Herb Abrams. That's a pretty obscure topic in the grand scheme of things. And when you can pull in an audience at that level, um, I think that gives you carte blanche to go into um, many more obscure topics. And pro wrestling has no shortage of them when it go- when you're talking about uh, stuff like uh, the-, the War of Atlanta in the early 70s with Ann Gunkel. When you're talking about uh, the NWA and their power struggle with the WWF. Um, there- there's so many topics, I think, if you sit down and come up with um, it all, it ultimately comes down to what um, what people are available to speak on these subjects and going from there. But I, I think you can run the gamut of lots of interesting subjects. And this season has told you we can go a lot deeper than we thought we could. Brilliant. Okay. Well, cheers. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much, Alex. The call. No. Oops. <laughs> yeah. Um. Honest. Ooh. Oh. Sorry. I'm, I'm dealing with all this technical stuff, and I. I, I, I was almost afraid I, I dropped you again, John. But, you know, like, um, any contra- – like, think about the – it re- morbid to say, but think about all the wrestler deaths that have occurred over the past decade plus, right? Um, every one of those stories is an episode that you can dive deeper into, um, the circumstances surrounding them. So you're right, John. At this point, it really is the name value of the series itself. Um I think in wrestling, there's certainly no shortage of controversy. Yeah, I, I think there's many different directions you can go, and I, and I think it's a given um, that you know they'll 
they'll be continuing with a, with a season season three and uh, however far like this is their this is Vice TV's like franchise series at the moment. Hanzi, are you on the line? Yeah, I'm here. How how are you guys, man? I hope you're holding up well. Um, you know, um, I just uh, uh I just wanted to ask um with this Moxley and uh, um Brody Lee match. I know people are saying it's too soon, right? And there's always going to be open to criticism because, like, now if Brody Lee faces him, then it's like, okay, this new act needs to win because, I mean, then why give him a title shot right away? But then it's like Moxley just got the title a couple of months ago. So it's like I, I feel like they kind of booked themselves in a corner. So I'm just wondering, like, do you guys think this is a smart move that they went as I know you guys kind of talked about it on, like, your review, but it just like to me, it just kind of confused me because I just thought maybe MJF was being groomed for the next title thing. I, I, me, me personally, I still think it's too early, and I, um, I'm not even 100% sold on the Brody Lee character. Like I'm like the game Mike time. It just seems right now he, it just seems like he's doing more of a Vince McMahon impression than anything. And if I want to see a shitty Vince McMahon impression, I'll just go watch you know Triple H do that impression in like 2006 Raws or some shit. You know what I mean? Uh, so I just want to know what your guys' thoughts were that on, on that were. Thanks, Hansi. Yeah, no problem. Take it easy. Yeah, um, I mean, I would contend that I, I, I feel like it's more, it's not really just a, you know, quote-unquote shitty Vince McMahon impression at this point. I think, you know, that was, see, that seemed to be the case the first week, but I think of the week since they've started to branch away from that and it instead just maybe made him more into, I, I would say, more of a, eh, stereotypical cult leader and i really do feel like they're still continuing to find that voice that that'll make him unique in the future um they're in a tough position where they have to not only make sure that everybody is being positioned at a spot that makes sense for them at the time but they also have to come up with interesting intriguing high caliber matches to sell these pay-per-views it's not just about building storylines it's also about putting on an attractive fight and if you're doing a you know, let's say a Brody Lee versus, I don't know, Jungle Boy. That's fine for TV, and it'll make sense, you know, given the position of the guy on TV, but it's not really going to draw anybody to the pay-per-view. Um, let, let, let's also look at the fact that um, with, with the recent Moxley-Jake Hager match, like, I know not as many people liked the match. I, I enjoyed the match, but more importantly, like, what this pay-per-view is built on, it's the build-up. For the match and I don't think anyone can de- deny they did a really great job in those two weeks which is about the time they have to build this match up that just to make it feel important and I think that's something AEW has been able to establish themselves as being very effective at that is taking a match that may be cold or you know at a certain level and building it up to this level and the, the big question being this is trying to get people to buy a show versus uh, tune into Dynamite for the Hager match. And this, to me, will be like the true test of where Brody Lee is at. Uh, not just, I mean, we know where in ring he is, and I think you know he still has even a, a lot of room to really impress, like outside of the WWE system. But where is he at as a performer, as a character, as a creative mind? You know, how well can he build to a feud against an AEW World Champion in in the in you know one of the top programs of a pay per view? Um, this will be a big test for him. Let's go back to the phone lines, Matthew. You're on the line. Please unmute yourself. Hey guys, uh, it's Matthew from Vancouver. So first time, long time. Thank um, you, Matthew. Hey. I, 
so I posted in the forum the other day, just generally, like my thoughts on WWE, basically over the last 12 months. And I've really felt like a stagnation in the product, the overall presentation, and just generally my interest levels have gone down. And, you know, we've been talking a lot recently about documentary style and that sort of presentation, how that's becoming like, you know, the more focused on viewing habits that people have, particularly during the COVID situation. What do you guys think WWD like really needs to do with its production to kind of like, I don't know, convert me back into being a, a less of a lapse fan and more of like a, a viewer on a Monday night and a Friday night? So, so Matthew, um, like, are you saying this? For you, in your case, would this have occurred even if the pandemic didn't occur? Or are you more so specifically talking about like the the way the, these particular empty arena shows have been? Uh, it's been outside of the pandemic. Like my interest in WWE's product has definitely just gone down significantly. Um, and that, yeah, that was something that I was generally thinking, you know, ratings always tend to go down post-WrestleMania. But this dip that we've seen, can we always just apply it to the COVID situation? Could this have actually just happened anyway if you know the pandemic wasn't happening? Uh, not to this level. I, I don't think anyone – like even with NBA playoffs, uh, there's no way they were hitting 1.6 million for a, an episode of Raw. But I, I think certainly they, they would be down. Like this is typically like their lowest period of the year once the NBA playoffs are in full swing. So you would have had that even under normal circumstances. Uh, but I, I think it's it's exponentially lower now because of the pandemic. But I, I don't know if now is a time that you can – expect to bring anyone back it's simply the core that you have that are still like right now the floor this week is uh just over 1.6 million that are still sitting down to watch raw on monday night how do we maintain those viewers and and keep them uh at this point and i don't have like the easy solution i don't know if it's necessarily more outside of the ring content if it's you know trying i would not want to be spending the three hours on strictly matches i think that is a dead formula and the longer you're in this negative space which is the empty arena i think it's just that much more of a depressing uh, atmosphere that you've got that is going to whittle away your audience so I would be trying to come up with creative ways to utilize your talent uh, in, in other scenarios outside of the ring. Uh, Way I thought had a really great idea that under normal circumstances you probably wouldn't look at, but with this this Undertaker documentary series that you have now, that I think is going to be very well received by the wrestling audience. Throwing that out as your third hour on Raw um, is it going to do 1.5 million viewers? Maybe it doesn't, but I'm way more open to taking risks like that now than I would have been six months ago um, in, in terms of utilizing content. Um, and, and they have this, this five part series that at least to me would be something I, I would test out. For, for me, it's like, you know, just looking at what we've been talking about during the pandemic, what's been working right now. Oh, so, sorry, Matthew. We're just going to have to let you go. It's a little bit uh, rustly in the background, but thank you for the call, Matthew. Much appreciated. But you know, I'm just thinking about what's been what we've been as a as a society talking about during this whole downtime, and it's certainly you know not any sort of live professional sporting event that's out there. It's things that uh, things that are documentaries, you know, things that are operating at a hundred percent, regardless of whether or not a live audience is required. When we watch professional wrestling, you turn the show on, and immediately you can tell this is not what it's supposed to be. This is a shitty 
you know, compromised version of the thing that this was supposed to be. But a documentary like, you know, The Last Dance or even something like Total Bellas, that's operating at 100%. And I think that's, you know, when we're talking about the WWE who have the facilities and really already have the products that are out there, um, like Untold, like, you know, this Undertaker documentary, I'm if they truly want to try, you know, changing things up, I really do think it would be a worthwhile, you know, idea to number one, promote the thing that you're about to show and not just, you know, throw it out there because that might turn people off. But to make a big deal for weeks to come, the debut of The Undertaker, you know, the last ride series, putting saving some time on Raw for something like that, it might might be worth a shot. Like, think about that third hour of Raw. okay? and and again, like maybe like one point five million is too ambitious to think of what an Undertaker documentary would do. But if you were to splice in some clips in the first two hours and then you debut this first episode, which let's say it's thirty five, forty minutes and the last 15 minutes of the show is Austin doing the sit down with Undertaker talking about that that episode. I to me, that's the kind of uh different ideas that I would be welcoming right now. I would not be dismissing anything out of hand um, at this problem. Like you're, you're bleeding viewers. So let's, let's come up with some ideas um, that also lessen the amount of empty arena matches, because we know, we know that's not a winning formula, but that's, they're forced into this situation or they've put themselves into this situation. So what, what are some alternative ideas? So um, yeah, I just thought that was a really great idea you had to try out. Jake in the chat room, it says, Total Bellas is a documentary. Hell yeah, it's a documentary. Everything on that show is is completely 100% accurate. Uh, it is, uh, you know, almost uh, verified, certainly. Um, by the way, the Bellas book comes out this week, John. Are you going to be reading it? Are you going to give us a book review? Um, Probably not. Oh. Anyway, phone lines are open, everybody. I, I know some of you guys are trying to call... Um, to like old chats that we've had don't do that because i can't pick that up and merge you into this current call you just have to look up post wrestling individually and call us in a brand new chat window well, uh, we've had enough sort of like um tech issues as as a, there always seems to be on the cafe hangout so we're not really going to take too many risks at this point do you actually want to get into our discussion about um untold yeah, we, uh, we we can discuss that. So this premiered uh, this past weekend on the network, and it's pretty much uh, sorry. Um, it's it, pretty much looking at the at the Hunter Foley program from early uh, two thousand, and really the rise of Hunter as a main event heel, um, where where he was in the summer of ninety nine, and what this program was able to bring him up to uh, going into WrestleMania that year. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think most of our audience will have seen these two matches, uh, the Royal Rumble Street Fight and then the Hell in a Cell from the next show, uh, No Way Out. We actually reviewed both shows on Rwanda Way like not that long ago. So these these matches were pretty fresh in my mind. History kind of looks back at these matches as, you know, Mick Foley's retirement matches. And that's certainly the case. But this untold like 51 minute documentary kind of takes it more um, into like the Triple H land and what these matches did for him in his particular career. Um, You know, it really does kind of put into perspective how pivotal the feud was for both guys, not just for Foley and his retirement, but for Triple H and his ascent to the main event level. And it nearly didn't happen. Like in November of 99, Foley was, was ready to retire as a weekly performer 
and to the point that he you can even find this on YouTube like he did an interview with Michael Landsberg on off the record talking about like he did the interview with the knowledge that he was going to go on raw and announce that he was that he was done the interview aired but the Austin injury happened and Foley ended up staying longer and you know it was not just all the wear and tear physically on his body from like you know the bumps and bruises but it was also like having you know issues with like head trauma that he had had throughout his career so it was all catching up to him at this point by the end of 99 but the Austin injury happens he stays on board to work with Hunter and gets you know two of the more memorable matches of his entire WWF career and that's kind of the the centerpiece here it's fully in a in a position where he's going to get Hunter ready for WrestleMania much like in 99 he got the rock ready for Austin at WrestleMania how did you feel some of the characters came across here uh, in particular let's start off with Triple H I thought that it, I I thought that this was like the most open Hunter's been in, in regards to the importance that Foley had it almost seems like in his history not to me like he's diminished the impact Foley has had but he's never to me put like a giant spotlight on it either mm-hmm. um and this was him being I think very um uh, very open about that fact of you know, and and reciprocated by Foley. I mean, Foley is by no means just, you know, uh, taking a bow here for 50 minutes either. He's stating that, you know, Hunter brought out the best of him at a time when he was a comedy fixture and didn't want to end his career um, on, on a comedic note and that they, they both really brought out a lot in one another. Um, mm-hmm. It was, yeah, and I thought it was like very interesting as well to get um, Stephanie's perspective at this time. and. I mean, they, they kind of have almost a separate chapter on this being like the, the the beginning of the romance between Paul Levesque and Stephanie McMahon that they would go into, which was uh, quite the contrast to the, the story they were telling with, with Hunter and Foley and uh, shards of wood being shoved into Hunter's calf at the Rumble. There was a moment where like Stephanie talked about how like prior to that street fight, she and, uh, you know, Triple H shared a kiss and she just basically said this was the first time they had kissed. They thought she didn't know how to really take it because was it character? Uh, was it, was there something more to it? Um, you know, obviously the backdrop of like everything going on with Joni Lauer was not mentioned at all in something like this. Um, no, that didn't make the cut. It did not make the cut. No, but um, I mean, you know, this really was a significant time in both men's lives. This is where the two of them, got together and they fell in love and look at everything that's, that's occurred since. So it was a direction that I wasn't really expecting to go into in a documentary like this, but nonetheless, I thought it was rather sweet. Um, Hunter to me, like at this point in his career, he really does come across at least on camera, very humble, very realistic about his place in history. I don't really see much of the sort of insecurity or any of the exaggerated, statements about his career that you would have expected from a politician you know um like is is that a pun what do you mean a politician oh politician levesque how did that never take off as like a like a meme about hunter yeah um i did not intend for for it to be um but thank you john um extra points yeah listen like I certainly rank it if there is a ranking of like top politicians in professional wrestling, I think a lot of us would put Triple H on that list. But, you know, 
I don't know if it's just because of the status that he is at right now. Um, he certainly, or like the the fact that he really understands, I think what you know how to convey honesty to a public. I don't know how what it is, but I feel like there has been a slight change in his demeanor and in the way he comes across in interviews such as this. And I I really he's very likable. Like he comes across as just like a very genuine. He, he's very good at communicating to the audience that's in front of him, whether it is um, up in front of shareholders in that environment, whether it's on these documentaries, whether it's on those uh, conference calls with wrestling media. I mean, Hunter is very good at being that chameleon that can adjust to the audience that he is communicating with. And I would also say that in this like with the the sophistication level of so many of the audience members now, I I wonder if it's as like you would just somewhat write off guys when you would, you know, label them as, oh, locker room politician. And there's a big negative connotation that comes with that. But I think also a further understanding of what is necessary to adapt to where the real game is played is and that is was not attempt to play on words there but nonetheless that that is an aspect of this industry that we've seen so many countless guys come and go that did not did not exert that power when they should have Mm -hmm. and and it results in guys not reaching their highest level and the onus being on those guys that you know that is an aspect of this industry that you may not agree with or like but it is this is a selfish industry at its core and i think that there's more of an understanding of that rather than that just being some some mark of negativity outright well I mean, a a question for you is, do you feel like it is a necessary part of this industry or is it just a necessary part of being in the WWE? I I think that it's it's prevalent in in WWE, but it is something that you're going to have aspects of that always in in, in any company where those top spots come with a value attached to them and your paycheck is reflected on your spot in a company. I think that's always going to be a dynamic at play. And that's it is an aspect that you have to be able to adjust yourself to. And when you're someone that has that power and knows how to use it effectively, uh, sometimes that that gains you a lot of backlash. But at the same time, those are typically the most successful people in this industry that are able to hold on to those spots and, and be smart with them. Like you can argue a guy like Ric Flair, um, were there times that that he was way too giving? I mean, he gets his applause for making a lot of guys, but were there times that he should have put his foot down more? Um, you can argue that. And that that's like a whole other aspect uh, of this industry. So I don't know if it's as like 2003 Hunter um, was viewed upon very differently than 2020 Hunter is viewed upon. We're also talking about people now that um, that version of Hunter was part of their childhood or before they were following wrestling. So you're you're watching him in a different lens than those that were experiencing that at, on a week to week basis where we saw plenty of baby faces that um, had their legs cut out from under him uh, from under them. And Hunter became that fixture on Raw each week. We get the detriment of the show. We get into a bit more detail about the matches themselves and starting off with the the Rumble match. And I thought there were some really interesting portions where, I mean, they talk about um, the suplex onto the wooden pallets and how that gashed Triple H like pretty, pretty poorly for the rest of the match. Um, We the the, a really interesting part that you and I just kind of we talked about in the actual body of the review that we just did on Rewind Away was sort of the sleight of hand tricks that they included in these matches, one of which was using a legitimate barbed wire 
bat in the beginning of the match, doing a Good spot. Thing this on, wasn't in Maryland. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, doing a spot on the outside with the announce table and having a, a cactus threaten Hugo Savinovich on the floor. Um, basically, like they they put the bat underneath the Spanish announce table and then they retrieved it. But this time it was a gimmick bat, and that's what they used to attack Hunter in the head. The way what was interesting to me was the way they presented this in the documentary. They did not outright say, yeah, we exchanged the bat for a gimmick bat afterwards. It was more so like they were alluding to it. Um, they showed you the footage pretty much, but they never really, no pun intended, again, hit you over the head with the fact that they were, you know, like doing wrestling magician stuff. Like, it's almost as if like, you know, you know, and if you're watching this with a child who doesn't know, they wouldn't know any different either. Yeah, which to me is like, that's that's the line that you you dance on. That's the art of professional wrestling is why legitimately injure ourselves when we can present the illusion and the audience accepts it as what they're seeing. I mean, that's that's kind of the you, you don't want to go too far where where it's obvious and you've got a, a two by four that bends in half um, versus, you know, sleight of hand with with this barbed wire spot. But um, they brought up the fact that as Foley was going out there, Vince McMahon told him no thumbtacks. And he presents it like they called the audible here to use the thumbtacks, or at least they were planning to do it regardless. And that being um, the the big spots at the end was Foley getting an extremely rare kick out on the pedigree and then doing the tax spot with the uh, with Foley coming down, realizing I could lose an eye, but think of the pop. Oh, crazy. It's, it's certainly tough to believe that like any wrestler can go out there and just improvise thumbtacks. Like, if Vince didn't want those thumbtacks, I think he would have just... <laughs> he would have probably fired whoever put the thumbtacks underneath his own ring. He probably would have checked his own ring or asked somebody to check his own ring. But anyway, um, in the Hell in a Cell match, uh, they kind of, again, talk about a bit of a sleight of hand when they um, talk about the flaming 2x4 and how they managed to use that as a distraction for, I guess, you know, setting up the ring for the crash pad for when Foley would would take the um take the big bump through the cell. I I don't know if the, it seemed like Hunter might have like opened up some sort of latch on the cell itself. I I couldn't really tell, but that part to me is like that to me is like one of my favorite bumps off of Hell in a Cell and it's one that I really appreciate certainly more than like the one in like, you know, 98 because it was like exactly as intended. It was designed to protect the performer and it was beautifully executed as a as a stunt and visually like a a very impressive looking um spectacle uh, to Mm -hmm. do that and you know the going into that match the you know it was like the catch-22 of you are this this match it's it's challenging history because how Mm -hmm. in god's name do you replicate or outdo the 98 match and I can speak for myself. I didn't want to see them even attempt to do that. I did not want to see any of that. So they like you had to go on top of the cell and they allude to it in this, that the audience was not going to buy this until they got out of the cell and got to see. That's what they wanted to see. They wanted to see Mick Foley in his first Hell in a Cell match since the legendary one with The Undertaker and giving them something that was satisfying in a different way that not without risk, but greatly diminishing what was done in 98, which you know, no one wants to see replicated. 
Mm-hmm. And they managed to like you know live up to those expectations. And this time, I would say in a much more controlled, safe way, which I, to me is is the art of professional wrestling. So, um, any other thoughts? And his had? last match ever. I mean, twenty years, no more matches for Mick Foley. Like, what a retirement. So they did mention that about how like both matches seem seem to be original originally intended to be retirements, but then of course he would come back for a third match. They, and... they talked about like the Rumble one, like they were not coming out of that with the plan to do February, and mm-hmm. Foley brought up like they got hit with injuries. He specifically mentioned uh, Eddie Guerrero um, getting the elbow injury because the Radicals debut a week eight days after the rumble match. And then it's that first week that Eddie does the frog splash and messes up his elbow. So yeah, he's kind of, kind of hinting that, you know, it could have been something with like the, the radicals involved in whatever their big program was going to be at, at no way out. And those plans changed and we get the hell in a cell. I suppose like the most notable thing to me was that, you know, th- this was very much, I would say a, a mini profile on Stephanie McMahon's evolution as an on-screen performer too, because you get to see, you know, really like the innocence of a young Stephanie McMahon as part of this Tess baby face storyline. And then you, you see how immediately she gravitated and just latched onto like an incredible performance as a heel. And then you see Linda McMahon appear. <laughs> and if there's any, question about where stephanie or shane get their um charisma genetics from um of course it would be dad because mom unfortunately is almost like the complete opposite of any of those three um yeah stephanie would grow into a much better performer but i mean man she was i did not think she was great during during this period it took a long time for her to get into a real confidence level on television it was a stretch. Any other thoughts on the on the documentary before we get back to the phone lines? No, I just thought it was, um, you know, they they kind of just go into the retirement, coming back at WrestleMania, and um, you know, the, really just documenting what was a very important feud because uh, this was arguably. I don't even think it's an argument. I think from from a calendar year, Hunter's Hunter's best year uh, in two thousand, where he just put out uh, a tremendous. Uh, body of matches uh, throughout that year. And certainly you would put that January match with Foley probably at the top of that list. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I thought overall, like it was a way to um, put the spotlight back a bit more, more on triple H for his role in these matches, rather than just thinking of them as, you know, strictly Mick Foley matches. This was, you know, uh, somebody, something that, that did plenty for both men. Um, somebody is trying to call it. And, and again, I repeat caller, please try to call. This is Brandon from New Jersey is trying to reach us and he's trying to call in, but unfortunately you're really calling in on, on the, the wrong line. So Come on, Brandon, get it together. Yeah. I know you've been having issues, uh, even on the Twitch trying to figure out how to jump into Phil Chertok's game, game nights, but, um, we're going to have to send Max, I think to do some it at your your house on that note john do you want to remind everybody what you guys are doing on saturday so on saturday if you want to log in to the post wrestling discord which you can go to the website and there's a button right there just click on discord you can sign up for that it's free to join uh phil and eric marcote are going to be doing a live watch along on the discord chat for ufc 249 they'll be on there for the entire night and then afterwards I'm going to be joining Phil and we're going to do a live stream on the discord of our UFC 249 post show with a rundown of all the fights. So you can look forward to that on Saturday night, followed by Wei and I going live Sunday night 
after Money in the Bank for Double Double Ice Cap and Espresso members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. So the Money in the Bank stream, we're doing that exclusively exclusively for Double Double Ice Cap and Espresso patrons, but the UFC stream is available to everybody on the Discord. And if you want a bit more information on how to join the Discord, which is also completely free, you can go to postwrestling.com and just under the tabs, look for the Discord tab. That'll give you an invite and it's completely free to join. John will probably have some details about it on uh, on the night of the, the UFC event itself on Twitter and, and such. I believe the man is on the line. Please unmute yourself. Brandon from New Jersey. Do I have to... T- Hold uh, okay, you, Hello? Thank goodness you, you figured out how to do the unmuting. So um, glad you made it. I did. It. I saw the button. I saw the button. I'm sorry. I apologize for calling the wrong number. My bad. All good. Come on, Brandon. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Get your shit together. Anyway, um, in all seriousness, uh, the UFC this weekend with the uh, the... the the testing and whatnot. I mean, they have an abundance of testing. I mean, because I mean, after all, Trump gave Florida like three times the amount from the because uh, Ron DeSantis is a political ally. I mean, so I mean, they should be covered for for sports and all. What do you I, think about I that? I really cannot understand that. You know how within the same country you have pockets that need testing and then others that just have an abundance. That it's it's really weird to me. I I had no idea until someone pointed it out to me today that. Um, as Joe Rogan's doing his show, he's all his guests get tested and he's paying for for tests. I had no clue either, because, yeah, I've seen like that. He's he's still doing his podcast from the same studio directly face to face, you know, at a time when like every talk show is pretty much shut down. Um, so he's he's actually doing that. Wow. He's paying out of pocket. It's like 300 bucks a test. And it sounds like, like Rogan is getting like multiple tests over a week. Um, and all his guests are getting tested and he has received flack for this that, you know, he's going through a private um, medical company to be able to get mm-hmm. access to tests. And that's, you know, when you look at those who have the means to pay for tests, um, in this case, Joe Rogan is is able to get them. So, um, yeah. Any, any idea what sort of tests? Swabs? It sounds like it's the antibodies test because it's something like um, – I, I think I, I heard it was like 15 minutes to get results, which would sound like the um, you know faster uh, testing. It's not something – you're not bringing a guest over and then waiting overnight for test results. Right. I mean it, would it shock you guys if one of those private companies like becomes like a sponsor for like a podcast like Joe Rogan and or, or Brendan Schaub's podcast because I saw that uh, – I mean like – they're working from a studio and I guess they have a face mask and whatnot while they're working on this, the, the producer or not. Like, would you be shocked by that too? If they became a sponsor? Um, no, I guess not really. I mean, um, why would they though? I mean, uh, uh, you know, at some point you figure if, if somebody has something like that to monetize and sell, I don't even know if they would really need the advertising. It's like, Anyway, it's it's really slimy for me to even think about, like somebody, you know, a private company, you know, um, getting rich off of um, something that is is crucial to survival. But yeah, one, one, one more thing before I get out of here. Um, uh, well, two things. Uh, this the whole Stipe uh, getting called out while he's a first responder. Uh, that you think that's kind of ghoulish too? Or I mean, I I, I know DC is a good guy and all, and he's asking for a title shot, but I mean. The priorities are priorities, right? 
I, I have no criticism for any champions that don't want to fight right now that have way more to lose than um, than other fighters. And for Stipe, who, as you mentioned, is, is like a frontline worker as a firefighter, I think to put him into any situation to pressure him to fight right now, uh, I don't agree with. Like, I understand Daniel Cormier has his motivations, uh, but to me, uh, for the UFC to just uh, strictly back uh, Cormier and push for the fight to happen. I completely disagree with that. And Dana's talking about stripping Stipe if, if, if the fight's not me. I, I, I mean, Dana's, Dana's an absolute ghoul with, with all this, but I, I, it's just, I, I, I find it deplorable. Uh, is that too strong of a word? But it's ridiculous. I don't think so. And one more thing is, is Jungle Jim Steel related to Jungle Boy? I'm out of here. Peace. Brandon from New Jersey, folks. Uh, we have our ratings in. Uh, both both shows were up by a small number. Uh, AEW was up 5.5%. They did 732,000 viewers. So that would be their highest number since March the 25th. Um, just narrowly beating out their April 22nd number. NXT was up 4% and did 663,000, which is their highest since April 22nd. So some small gains for, for both companies in total viewers. All righty. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any immediate, I don't know, reaction. Um, um, I, I would say, like, I, I got the sense both would be up from last week. This was around where I thought it would be. And I did think that AEW having a show, like it, it tells me that AEW's lineup um, was like whether it's people that are just um, continuing the habit that AEW is what they're watching or if it's Chris Jericho, whatever it was, uh, meant more than two title matches on NXT, which was a much higher than usual lineup from NXT. So, um, yeah, I, I can't say I'm surprised, though. It's kind of the outcome I anticipated. But, I mean, if, if you're looking for silver linings during this um viewership phase during the empty arenas uh, this is a uh, at least it's it's up from last week even if it's uh we're, we're still talking like a small percentage let's finish off the show here with mj from nj what is on your mind hey guys i think i was one of those calling the uh, old chat so my apologies um oh. following up on uh, the ratings that you just talked about i have a question for both of you in the very distant future, when people can attend wrestling shows, where are people going to want to? What what shows are people going to want to see? Um, based on what we're seeing with ratings uh, decreases, increases in trends, is there evidence that suggests that people who were following AEW are staying with AEW, and the people who habitually watched Monday Night Raw have just fallen off? And do you think that impacts down the road when they get back into a live setting? Um, I can say with confidence that I've, you know, 2021 Wrestle Dynasty is going to be an incredible show if they can actually pull it off. And there's this built up, um, I guess, interest or, or demand for attending shows. Where do you think people will go? Thank you. Thank you, MJ, MJ for the call. Take care. Yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that, like, the loss of viewership is going to dramatically um, impact attendance, but there's no way of knowing at the moment. I would say that those that are purchasing tickets to go watch a show are much more of um of a of a diehard fan than one that's simply turning on their TV on a Monday night. So I would I would certainly look at the and I mean it's it's not even like will we even be able to weigh attendance figures and contrast them to the pre-COVID period? Our arenas, what what arenas are they going to be running? Are you running 
18,000 seat arenas? Uh, probably not. Um, are you able like a 9,000 seat arena? Is it going to be at capacity? Probably unlikely once they open the doors immediately. Um, so I, I think like there's going to be a rebuilding phase and we'll see what the economics are of the, the wrestling industry from a live event perspective of whether they have to come up with incentives to encourage their fan base to come to shows and whether that's reducing ticket prices, other incentives, safety um, measures. Absolutely. Safety you know, measures. We could be, I, I mean, could we be in a world where testing would become so readily available that, you know, it would be available to anybody who walks through a door at one of these shows? Um, I, I really feel like at this point, without a proper vaccine, without really anything else to do, testing and, you know, making sure that you are able to, I don't know, ensure the public safety as much as possible, whether it be with face masks or anything like that, that stuff is going to be the biggest key to getting people into these places. Yeah. And if and if the idea of introducing testing measures, um, you know, if that becomes a permanent part of our society, where going to a concert or a game requires testing, maybe that's going to seep in and it just becomes accepted. But at the introduction point, how many people want to go through that hassle versus just watching it at home. Do, do I want to go through all of that? If it's a cotton swabs through my nose and towards no thanks. my brain, probably not. But I mean, if we're talking no. about something that's a bit more, you know, like spitting into a cup or something like that. Um, again, you know, all this technology is evolving all the time. Uh, we had a bit more information about it from Do- uh, Dr. Alex Patel on, on Rwanda Dynamite last night about some of the more up-to-date um, methods. But um, yeah, how, if it's how does that work? Up- Wait, like you, you buy your ticket, you get to the front. They take your 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 temperature or something, and you're turned away. Do I get an instant refund? Is it only a credit? Um, I, I I've mm-hmm. I've already gone out of my way to get to an arena. I've you know there's all these things like that to me is like if if I get turned away, what a hassle. And there's going to be a whole change in the um yeah what becomes the norm and what there might be pushback from. And to be honest, like if I'm looking at all these potential factors versus just I want to watch this at home where I don't have to go through any of this stuff. That becomes a lot more enticing. It's, it'll be a question, not just for uh, professional sports, but movie theaters, concerts, airlines, any sort of thing where you have to gather people via ticket to some sort of enclosed space. Um, Yeah. It's a different world for sure. When it comes to these industries, what is coming up besides UFC this weekend, John? So on Friday night, Way and I are going to be back with a new edition of Rewind to SmackDown. We'll go through uh, the show on Friday night and Dark Side of the Ring covering Herb Abrams. So that is coming up for members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. UFC 249 post show on Saturday night, including the watch along with Phil and Eric on the Discord. And then Sunday night, we've got Total Recall with Wei Ting and Pauline and the Money in the Bank post show. It's going to be a busy Sunday for one Wei Ting. Yes, it will be. And again, one more plug for our friends Nate and WH with their new shirts up at store.postwrestling.com. The Rocky Maivia Picture Show and uh, Post Pro Res. Get those right now. Store.postwrestling.com. Thank you to everyone who called in, tuned in. We thank all of you, and we will speak with you Friday night on Rewind to SmackDown.